0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic adventure in podcasting. Uh, I'm thinking about the word fantastic because if you're fantastic for sure, I think. Oh, it, yeah, could for be sure. it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, so delighted on this episode to be talking with comics creator Dan Breerton. Dan, thank you for jumping in, taking the time on a Sunday to talk with me out of all of the things that you have going on. You said you were just doing a painting demo a little while ago.
1: Uh, yeah, um, I have a Patreon page called The Night Studio. And um, every once in a while, uh, I do uh, a little chat. And um, sometimes I'll do a, a demo of a drawing or a painting while I'm talking. It's not something I'm used to doing where I talk mm-hmm. and draw or paint at the same time. But um, as long as they're not bored, I'm happy to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, I love the art that you do. And that was one of the reasons why I reached out. Of course, Uh, you have something in common with Mark Wheatley right now, which is that both of you have skulls in your studios. Um, Just (laughs) noticing that. I don't know if those are like old friends or if uh, he he said his was for drawing on model. Um, But just curious.
1: I I have a lot of skulls in my studio. I mean, my desk, has more on them. And then I've got a have got a skeleton over here in the corner. Mm-hmm, and whenever mm-hmm. I see uh, the, the first really realistic skull that I own was a Revell snap together glow in the dark kit, which I still have around here somewhere. And uh, we had to put the teeth together and, and um, actually, it wasn't a snap together, I actually had to glue the whole thing together. But I really wanted a, a realistic skull to draw from and and uh, mm-hmm. and then later mm-hmm. on, I ended up getting the, the, um, the skeleton. Which scares uh, my three-year-old. Actually, all my kids have been scared by the skeleton. But then I explain to them that we all have one inside, and I say, "If you feel here, and see, you've mm-hmm. got one too." Mm-hmm. That's cool. It still doesn't work. They're still scared of it. <laughs> um, but I have a lot of the a lot of skulls around, and um, they're all different. Some are less realistic than others. And uh, whenever I go like to a Halloween store or any place where I see one, I have like a really nice one that's green. It has a piggy bank sl- slot in it, but. It doesn't have any change in it so yeah, yeah i have a lot yeah, of those. i think that's i think that's par for the course for a lot of artists you know um, yeah especially if you don't want to draw skulls that are cartoony if you want right, something that right. it instantly reads is as, is as, is as, uh acceptable rather than um uh goofy does that make mm-hmm. sense yeah mm-hmm.
0: totally and you can
1: totally. draw a goofy skull that's anatom- anatomically correct as well so
0: yeah, yeah. I, i'm also catching some dragons some action figures I, I just always like to take things in and you have the yeah. nocturnals over there which is what a lot of folks out there listening might know you for as well as the iron mm-hmm. giant right there
1: mm-hmm. uh giant killer is one of my other comics which i don't know if you can see in the wall behind me. yes 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 part of that's the um I'm move these guys out of the way that's the uh the slipcase for the uh the hardcover edition i did in 2020 which is kind of like a 20th anniversary mm-hmm. edition um it never i'd never done a hardcover of it and now so it's oversized which is something i always wanted to do since it's a giant monster comic i wanted to make it a bigger presentation so finally yeah. got to do that kickstarter which is pretty great
0: love it love it. um so so my first official question now that we sort of visited the room i might ask mm-hmm. about other things on model no too. that's fine um but my first official question <clears throat> is sort of that that literacy question of what kinds of stories, what what were the things early on that inspired you and made you say, I, I I want to be a person who makes art and makes books one day.
1: Well, that was a thought that I actually had as a kid. I, I did have that sort of epiphany uh, when I was pretty young that I wanted to uh, tell stories and, and that surprisingly, I, I felt that I had stories to tell. I mean, back when you're a kid, I can't vouch for how interesting they were or how unique or, or original they were, but I did I did have that that hankering to do that. And I think um the probably the main inspiration before comic books was children's books. I, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time at the library. Um I was a voracious reader. I loved picture books, uh Pretty exclusively until I was around eleven, I would say ten or eleven. Um, and um, if a book had illustrations in it, to me that that made it seem um, even more attractive. Uh, something uh-huh. I had to, to dive into. Um, and uh, so that sort of words and pictures things goes goes way back to uh, probably before I could actually read. Let's be honest. I mean, I, my mom said that the only thing that could calm me down when I was a toddler was to put me in front of a stack of books and <laughs> so when i was 8 years old uh in the just about the summer of 1974 i discovered comics through a kid i was going to school with he was from back east we we're this is in this is in the bay area east bay in the suburbs of the san francisco east bay and this kid was from his family was from uh, when I want to say pittsburgh or philly or something like that and comics went further back in his family's history, he had an older brother who was, I think in his twenties who um, w- had a huge collection. He wouldn't let us to touch, his, touch it or look at it. So comics were very, fairly like a normal thing in their life, in their in their house, in their family. And they were completely new to me. It was not yeah. something that I'd grown up with. Uh, I found out later that my mom read some comics because she liked cowboy comics and stuff when she was little,
0: <laughs>
1: but pretty soon abandoned it. And so I... I was captivated by the stuff I was seeing. It was Marvel comics for the most part. Jack Kirby. Yeah. Probably yeah. one of the first artists that really jumped out at me and Captain America. Uh and he just had this great collection. And uh so I remember asking to go to se- go into 7-Eleven one night around the same time and being given a dollar to buy my first comics. And mm. back then you could get four comic books for a dollar. Wow. And- <laughs> uh, I was hooked I was literally hooked and I really that's when I started to really started kind of wrap my head around what I wanted to do is, is to, I knew I wanted to be an illustrator I knew I wanted to uh, be an author um, and the idea of doing comic books was this kind of far off dream because I would look at the the artists that I was really interested in and their command of anatomy and the way they could tell a story and everything looked so effortless and perfect and um, I just thought i could never do that and it didn't it wasn't until so i went through a period where i was always drawing i was always writing stories um and i got into uh the idea of doing comic strips and being a comic strip artist when i was around 11 or 12 so i got heavily into like uh walt kelly and charles schultz jim davis doing garfield at the time i used to clip out stuff from the paper and keep it in a scrapbook and was drawing my own comic strips and my own characters and that seemed to me more at that age of 12 it seemed more um doable and more and more attainable as a goal than being a comic book artist mm. um even though i still loved comics and i still read them and then i was then around 1977 star wars comes along you get caught up in star wars uh get caught up in tolkien and hobbit and lord of the rings and science fiction and just all these things coming at you uh but like comics was still kind of a through line with all that stuff. It, it was, okay. it was always a constant. It, was, it would come and go in waves. Um, uh, You know, I was always a fan of Conan the Barbarian. And then I discovered Conan the Barbarian wasn't just a comic book. It was this whole series of stories and by Robert E. Howard. And so I was reading all that stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. you just, I would go into a series of deep dives into these different uh genre and also mediums. And then when I was in high school, um, I, I, Pretty much cemented my my feeling that I was going to want to try and be into comics somehow. And I used to try and make my own comics. I was drawing them and writing them and then uh, took a little break from that when I went to art school and studied uh, painting and drawing and illustration and design composition and that kind of stuff. And again, that fed back into comics, too. Mm-hmm. And so one day when a couple of comic book artists came into my my uh, classroom to say hello to my teacher, and that that started me down the path toward doing comic book samples and going to conventions. And while I was still in art school, I got my first gig uh, penciling a thing for Eclipse comics. very forgettable uh, job. And I remember there was a point in time where i I really I was admiring painted comics. And at the mm-hmm. time I was studying illustration in art school at the Academy in San Francisco Academy of Art College. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll try my hand at doing a painted comic book story. And, and so I did like seven pages. And uh, I remember showing them to an editor at Eclipse Comics uh, during the Christmas break, and it was just in the middle of my last year of art school, I want to say. And I got hired to do this book called The Black Terror,
0: mm-hmm. okay. painted
1: comic. And I was still working. I was working on that while I was still finishing my last semester of art school. And then I just kind of went from there. So it just was a constant process of wanting to,
0: to tell stories. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So from the stories that you were exposed to, what draws you to the particular stories that you work on? What are sort of those things that you look for in projects?
1: Well, it turns out to, you know, I mean, my, my interests were always really heavily into sort of genre fiction. Mm-hmm. And actually, these days when I'm reading for pleasure, it's a lot of crime fiction, mysteries, um, you know, whether it's Dashiell Hammett or Raymond Chandler or Ross McDonald. Um uh I just picked up a, no- by a novel by P. D. James is an author I hadn't read before. Uh so I, I really like the um that that's a genre that I that, that I'm really into now. And uh, you know, occasionally I like to read old ghost stories, you know, um uh and some horror, you know, uh I tend to like Go into these dives, deep dives for out of print stuff uh, by guys like Manly Wade Wellman, who was a pulp pulp writer who did uh, all kinds of genre fiction. So, I, so I'm, so I, so I like that kind of stuff. But I also have um, gravitated toward uh, historical fiction as well,
0: uh-huh. biography, uh-huh.
1: things like that. Uh, as an, as trying to be a well rounded human being, and 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 you, you find that you're interested in a lot of things. But as far as storytelling goes, I think because I like to draw. I tend to gravitate toward things that are fun to draw. For mm-hmm. instance, when I did the nocturnals, uh, the first, when I started coming up with the idea for the nocturnals, I knew I wanted to do something that felt like noir and crime and pulp, but I didn't want to draw a bunch of guys who look like gangsters. And that wasn't really what I was thinking about uh, artistically and, and, and imagery wise. I wanted to draw monsters. So mm-hmm. I learned how, a way to kind of meld the two together a different um, Uh, Things that I was interested in, whether it was horror or superheroes or pulp, crime, Halloween, monsters, and just sort of this melting pot came out as nocturnals. And it's kind of something that happened more than once in my career as as a, you know, graphic storyteller, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I still want to do other things. I'd love to do Westerns, you know, uh, again, crime fiction. uh, And there's always something that um, that kind of grabs your attention, whether it's something I want to draw myself or I want to work with another writer or another artist, I mean, or sometimes another writer. um, I, I feel like I, I have the hankering more than often is not to um, to write things and collaborate with an artist uh, because this, because there is a lot of work in putting a comic book together and I'm not a young man anymore, I, I guess. So even though I, still feel 25 in my head the the days of burning the midnight oil to get those pages done i just don't necessarily have that kind of same energy nor do i have the same um uh desire to mm-hmm. to plunge myself into that to, into that and so when i'm working on like right now i have a nocturnals graphic novel that i'm that's all penciled and um i'm working on finishing the pages you know in color and finishing them out more illustrated like I normally do. And, uh, I'm doing that under my own steam. I don't have a publisher. that's breathing down my neck. I don't have a publisher who's paying me. There's no real deadlines. And so it's taking forever to do, but what I'm trying to do is set aside some time toward the end of this year, like maybe last three months of the year to just work on that. And that's Mm -hmm. usually my goal is to to set aside time to work on the pages. And then when they're done, then I will put them out. However, I'm going to do it. Uh, but, um, the days where i would sit down and do that many issues uh under a say a 12 painted pages a month deadline mm-hmm. not something i'm definitely i, I want to run back to necessarily you know yeah. i'm pretty comfortable with that so between patreon and kickstarter and doing commissions and 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 doing um the spec pieces for say uh, i did two uh comic art live shows this year mm-hmm. where you basically do an art sale and so I would do special pieces just for the sale and do things that I like to do and things that collectors like and that's been really fun it's been a nice break from uh, having to run a kickstarter and next year I'll go back to doing a kickstarter probably for my next art book
0: yeah yeah you mentioned collaboration so curious about um both what makes for a strong collaboration for you and also people that have been particularly strong collaborators uh on your journey so far
1: well i find that the people that i want to collaborate with are people whose work i admire that makes it very easy Mm
0: -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. that
1: goes both ways um if someone likes your work enough to kind of instantly or not, not maybe not instantly but to easily sort of conceptualize or, or imagine the two of you working together on something and then you get that energy going and, and you get excited, whether it's me talking to a writer or another artist. And then you click, uh you mm-hmm. start having conversations about the story or the characters and and then you start clicking and then ideas start rolling and there's nothing like it. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. And it's um and a lot of times it never goes farther than that. Sometimes that's as far as it goes, uh even to the point of people sending drawings back and forth and what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And then someone gets busy. Mm -hmm. or or lose the theme sometimes that happens too or or sometimes the um the the ideas don't always gel and then that sort of dissipates the whole thing but when you're working with someone and you're committed to working with someone and you trust them
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh there's nothing like it you know that uh collaboration uh is just such a rewarding thing and it's such a growing experience too you learn how to get along with other people you learn how to um to back off from things that may be precious to you in in service of the story which you should always do but sometimes it takes another person to kind of point it out to you you can't always know why a good editor is important to have which i haven't had a i haven't had an editor on a nocturnal story in a long time although i do consult my friends who are writers or artists and and the ones i really trust and not stab me with right. their, with their two honest opinions that's another thing too is most artists don't ask other artists what they think of their work because they might hear the answer and that's that can be scary um, <laughs> but uh yeah I mean you know it's it's um it's part of I think why we do what we do some of us do it just solely be our own person and do exactly what we want and then some of us like to do that and we like to collaborate I think um you you can only learn something from collaboration, let alone have time. Yeah. and and create something that's worthwhile you know so
0: yeah, yeah. love what you said there about um, seeking out people specifically based on the kind of feedback that you want to receive <laughs> because well, they're, I mean, they're if definitely if trust, those
1: <laughs> it's true you if you, you have to trust somebody to in order to it's like when you fall in love you know you're giving that person your heart you're giving that person uh carte blanche to to crush you you know mm-hmm. i mean realistically and they can, they can crush you, but you trust them enough to, 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 to say, what do you think? You know, give me your honest opinion or how can I make this better? And because they respect you and they care about you, they're going to tell you in a way that's not going to just, uh, you know, <laughs> devastate you. Right, um, right. also you want someone who's on the same page as you, you know, uh, someone who understands what you're doing, someone who gets it is is familiar with it, is on the same wavelength,
0: mm-hmm. because
1: you can easily get feedback from someone who's not quite in tune with what you're doing, and it might be good feedback, but it doesn't necessarily fit because they're not up to speed with everything you're trying to accomplish. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. So you mentioned um, an art book potentially coming up, and I wanted to ask about anything that's sort of cooking as far as next creative steps that you can talk about, things that you're kind of circling around. Uh, as far as what the, that future work might be or, or current work that you'd like to talk about?
1: Well, currently, um, I, like I said, I'm I'm trying to clear some space in my, my calendar uh, so that um, starting September or October, I will be working on finishing more Nocturnals pages that are, again, the whole graphic novel that would be coming out next is all penciled, which means uh-huh. that uh-huh. the major work is done. It's uh, um, stories there. The panels are there. Everything's there. I need to go into the next step, which is finishes. And um, so hopefully I can get that done in within the next year if I'm lucky. Which uh, (laughs) doesn't it's doesn't always work out, you know, that you have the time, but uh, I'm hoping. And um, there would be that's that would be part two of a trilogy. So the first one was Sinister Path, Nocturnal Sinister Path, which came out, geez, 2017, maybe 20. I think so something like that. And um, that was part one of what I realized was going to be a, a kind of a trilogy. So this second, and then there'll be one more after that. So I really kind of need to buckle down and get these done. And, and it's, it's hard because you know, you're going to make a living. Right, and if right. you're, you're not working for a page rate on a book that you're working on, it can make it difficult to, to find the time. So I'm, I'm still learning how to do that. It's kind of still a new thing for me. Um, the first graphic novel was a Kickstarter project. And I think I had 11 pages done when we started it. And then it took another year and a half, two years before it finally came out. And um, it was uh, a long process and you don't want to um, rely on the Kickstarter funds to get you through necessarily when you're working on something. Cause what if it takes too long? What if there's un unseen, uh, you want to plan better than that. And so a lot of the stuff is I'm trying to do more of the stuff on spec up front. So I don't have those um, unexpected things come up that could, uh, railroad things because so sometimes people they they kickstarter a project and then they get a certain amount of money and then the money runs out and they still have a lot of work to do including mm-hmm. paying for the printing and so then what do you do so you have to make sure that you know i've done i've run a lot of kickstarters so i mean you have to really be prepared so the mm-hmm. next one will be an art book that i actually was going to do this year i kind of took a hiatus and i have so much um material to put into this art book uh, but i also was um My friend Bud Plant, Bud's Art Books, Bud Plant Comic Art, Mm -hmm. uh, he suggested, since he's one of the people that would be selling the book, he suggested that I have more text in this one and... So I did an interview with a comics historian, Alex Grand, who's a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And we did a long interview, which actually is on YouTube right now. And So that was basically to distill parts of that and use that as the text for this book. So there'll be a a pretty solid um, interview piece in there, as well as all the pieces of art. So I I expect this art book will be the longest. I'll have the the largest page count of any of the the art books I've done because there's so much material to put in. And then there's this text, so I'm looking forward to putting that together.
0: Yeah, and yeah, then the I, other I thing I have. Gone... Sorry, yeah, I was were, I was okay. just gonna see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we expect we was well, just we just you know we got along we get along well we have a lot in mm-hmm, common mm-hmm. and it's easy to to do that and ours is gonna go over too I'm sure, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I also um, we also I I I got with uh, hooked up with a, a game designer. Professional game designer named Scott Rogers, a few years ago, because I wanted to do a tabletop game, and so we I had this concept for a tabletop game, a kind of a dungeon crawl thing, but with some unique elements to it, unique to my work, unique to uh, gameplay and things like that. We got really excited, and then we realized if we want to do a Kickstarter for this, there's a lot of research that has to happen, but more importantly, we have to have a lot of these mini figures. Uh, ready to go so they cost money to have someone sculpt all those so when you see a kickstarter and you see oh we're going to do these figures and then we're doing these figures and then there's pretty much there's 50 figures they're going to give you they've had to pay a lot to a sculptor to put the or sculptors to put those out there before they even start so we realized that we needed to um rethink how we were going to do our first game together and i thought well could we do a card game because that seemed like that would be a lot easier, and he said, "Yeah, we could totally do a card game." So he came up with a Nocturnals uh, card game that, uh set on Halloween, and you play with your friends or your family, and it doesn't take uh, a day to learn how to play it. Um, which some game people won't like; they want a game that's very in depth and, and and takes and has a thick rule book. But mm-hmm. ours isn't like that. It's fun, and it's uh, it can be can take an hour to play. It can take 45 minutes to play. Maybe it could take longer. I mean, we, we have options for making it more difficult and challenging for those kind of expert gamers. Mm-hmm. But um, I did all the artwork and we put the whole entire game together uh, last year and we've been fine tuning it, test playing it. Um, and now it's getting to the point where it's time to start thinking about either whether we're going to do it ourselves or uh, sh- we've been shopping it around here and there to some of the publishers uh, because we realize it's a big undertaking to put that out. I've never put out a game. Yeah. You know? yeah, um, sure. I, we have like an idea of how to do that and we can do it. It's just going to be very time consuming. Um, and when I do a Kickstarter, I can only do one a year mm-hmm. for me. Someone else could run it. But my my partner in this is not a Kickstarter guy. So it'd be all new for him, which I think it'd be good for him to, to give it a go. And of course I would help him. But uh, for me, the art, the art book is just, uh, I've done it so many times before that it's, it's it's a challenge and it's a lot of work but i know how to do it yeah yeah you, you've traveled that road you know yeah that. yeah <laughs> and and it wasn't and and i had help in the in the, in the beginning I, I did kickstarters with other people uh partnered up with some folks and learned a lot and to the point where it was time to push me out of the nest and and do it myself and and i did mm-hmm. and uh you know um so far, it's been great. Uh, it's, it's really great to be able to come up with an idea for a project, whether it's an art portfolio or a book or a calendar or whatever it is. And whether you're doing it by yourself or with someone else to come up with an idea and then bring it to people and say, what do you think?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then they say, we want it. And it happens. And yeah. that was never happened in the 90s. And it wasn't happening in the, in the 2000s. And it was it's it's really been a game changer for so many people. Who are mm-hmm. creative and don't want to be um, uh, dependent on the whims uh, or the, of the marketplace or editorial people's tastes or whatever. You know, you bring it straight to the people that want it, and you go from there. And it's it's a beautiful
0: thing. Absolutely, yeah. Kind of
1: like a podcast,
0: you know. Exactly, I mean? yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you, 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 the tools are there. Go. Yeah. No. No gatekeepers. Or very few. No
1: one telling you. No one telling you you can't do it. No one telling you. Sorry, this isn't the kind of thing we publish. Or we can't. We can only pay you this much to do it. Mm -hmm. And comic book rates these days are not impressive. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. It's just the way. It's the way it is because of the market. You know, it's just the way it is. So.
0: And it's work intensive.
1: Extremely work intensive to the point where one of the things that keeps comics going is. The dream, the comic mm-hmm. book uh, creator's dream, which is to make that make comics. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, most of us when we're younger, we, we pursue that dream and we we're willing to to take uh, lesser deals um, mm-hmm. in order to, to, to do it. You know, uh, although when I was coming up in the 90s, the deals were better. The mo- there was more money. There was more investment. There was the marketplace was much more bustling. You know, um, and so there was a lot of us had good luck that way. Uh, some people are finding that um, when they marry themselves to characters or to a publisher who has a pantheon of characters and they can find success that way, which is another way to do it. You know, if you're drawing a very successful character uh, for a successful company, um, you create this, uh, which I did to a certain extent in the 90s, but you create this uh, market for yourself and you create mm-hmm. a readership a and, a, and a base. And then when that base wants something, you can give it to them. Yeah, you know. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think Thrill Killer was one of the first ones, Uh, one of the first works of yours that I that I found and that I saw. And uh, I love that when I look at a page that you've done, I know that it's yours. I know that those unique pieces are there from a character sort of figure design perspective but also um, kind of the coloring and and the ways that you kind of go about it as well. Well, I never really, um, I never really devised
1: a style for myself ever. It just, I think it was just a thing that came out sort of naturally, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily, that's not necessarily the case with, with, with all artists. I mean, some artists, they develop a style, but they also, they also make these, uh, career, these changes or, or they, they make these, they have these epiphanies or these, uh, revelations when they're looking at other people's work, which I've had them. And a lot of times what will happen is, is you'll, you'll see this thing and then you incorporate it into your work, especially artists who are self-taught. You see this a lot with artists who are self-taught, uh, they incorporate something into their style and then it, and it gets absorbed and it becomes part of their larger style.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, most artists have a style that is recognizable that I don't think that they necessarily have any control over. It's just, uh, what people, it's, it's, it just comes from this place that is, you can't touch it. it mm-hmm. It's going to be what it's going to be. Other artists are better at, um, kind of rolling with styles or with, um, the ability to kind of, uh, reinvent themselves to a certain degree. I mean, if you look at, uh, uh, or, or is, or it's just in a really extreme evolution, you know, that that goes into a place that, um, that where, there's, where they become even more popular, maybe, you know, um, and then there are artists who who create a whole style based on uh, things they picked up from one artist or another, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or sometimes if even a smaller group of one artist from maybe it's just one artist, you know, and then they'll just they'll they'll absorb it. And then they and they put it back out there and there's and you can see it. You can say, Oh, this guy looks like this guy. Uh um, sometimes you don't always see it right away. Uh, but there are there is probably a group of 10 really solid master comic book artists who it seems like everybody has learned something from or stolen from or borrowed <laughs> from or been inspired by. It's a you know, it's it might be more than 10, it might be more like 50, but there's this really concentrated group and uh one guy i'll throw out there obviously jack kirby but michael golden Mm -hmm. michael golden's name that comes up all the time with comic book artists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know um i i was a fan of michael golden stuff but i never never tried to draw like him i i didn't get so into it that i i wanted to be michael golden i wanted to be other people but i hear about michael golden a lot and he's an amazing artist uh self-taught um and uh elusive in that it's not easy to get him to talk about his influences because he says he doesn't have any. <laughs> Everyone's got influences whether they know it or not. It's just the way things work. But uh with Thrill Killer, I I had um this idea to to do an Else Worlds because at the time Marvel DC was doing Else Worlds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the idea was to a world where Batgirl and Robin were the dynamic duo and it was set like you know in like maybe the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh you know and they were kind of this thrill-seeking couple that liked to fight crime for fun for kicks and then something major happens in their lives that affects them and mm. uh and then it gets serious and i thought well bruce wayne, wayne would be like a cop he's like a detective that works for gordon and then eventually he would become batman in the story and so i wrote this uh pitch and i pitched it to archie goodwin at dc he's one of the greatest Greatest people in comic books of all time, whether, he's, uh-huh. whether he was an editor, writer, whatever, um, mentor. And he um, he liked the idea. And I told him, I said, I think um, I'd like to work with Howard, Howard Shaken on this. I think he'd be good to write it. And, you know, it's right. I think it'd be right up his alley. Uh-huh. So we showed it to Howard. Howard liked it. We got on the phone. We had a conversation and mm-hmm. uh, went from there. And from there on, yeah. it was just it was so it was so it was very smooth in the way things went. It was very smooth in the way the story came out and the way he picked up on on elements and made some things his own. Some things stayed. The basic idea I laid out to you never changed because okay. it was just really it was strong. You know, the the details of, of, of how things happen in the story were, were Howard's to tell and and to concoct. And um, and then we did a second one. And there was actually a third one that was laid out that never happened. Uh, Archie passed away and most of the editors at DC didn't want to take something that was, there's a lot of competition as, as far as like, look at this new brand new thing I'm bringing to you. So not a lot of our, our editors would want to pick up something that had already come out twice from another editor and then do that when they had other things they wanted to do. Uh-huh. So we never did do a third one, which would have called, which would have been called Thrillmaker and set in 1971. Um, I'd still do it. If we could find his plot because Howard doesn't even remember writing it but I did read the plot <laughs> um if, if it, but we know enough about it that we could we could make it work he could just write a new plot line or new storyline but uh I remember enough of the gist of it that uh, we could do it but if they ever asked for it we would do it we could probably yeah. do it it'd be a lot of work but it would be it would be fun and I think it'd be worth it and that was one of those story that was one of those projects that was really worthwhile to do it was very unique mm-hmm. um and I was very happy that something that i had sort of just sprang up in my mind was able to come out on on as a as a project and that i think is one of the been the most miraculous things seemingly miraculous things about comics is that you can come up with an idea if you sit down and work on you can make it happen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's it used to be a lot easier to do that because if you found a publisher that was with you you could they would say here here's this is what we're going to pay you to do it and we're going to put it out and it was it seemed like you know i remember when when i did nocturnals i felt that way and then uh, giant killer when dc comics um a few years later dc comics uh greenlit giant killer which is a comic that i i wrote and illustrated um and i just couldn't believe it i couldn't believe they said yes it was just i was like this is the greatest job ever you know <laughs> even movies you know with movies it takes a lot to get a movie made and yeah. the fact that a movie gets made and it's good is almost
0: a miracle yeah so, yeah lots of hands lots of the
1: comic seemed like it was more realistic for someone who knew what they were doing to be able to make things and it still is to a certain degree you know it's harder than it was but it's still it's still definitely a possibility and you yeah. see the stuff that comes out from independent publishers and stuff that comes out from kickstarter people there's some amazing stuff that comes out from crowdfunding uh, jay stevens dwellings a uh, horror comic that was a, a, a crowdfunded book for several issues and i felt like I'm, you know, I'm telling all these people about this book and no one's like, what's, what's that? What's that? Oh, it's so great. It's like this cute Harvey comics looking, uh, really dark horror stuff that you do know, mm-hmm. So great. And it's finally being picked up. It's been picked up by Oni. So Oni Press is publishing it. So the rest of the world can enjoy it. Nice. And, um, that started out as a, you know, Jay's, uh, brainchild and as a Kickstarter, as a crowdfund.
0: You know, yeah. So, all right it's a it's a good time to be creative i think
1: i agree yeah. i agree and i think if anyone has a hankering to be creative and has something that's persisting uh they sh- y- you got to do it mm-hmm. because this is a market you're going to make you know this is your time take advantage of it and make it happen for yourself you know
0: yeah yeah um so by way of a final official question, and then we can hit anything that we missed. I, I say they're official, they're semi official questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> any web spaces where people can go, um, crowdfunder sites, things like that, social media, those sort of things where people can follow up and check out some of your work and support?
1: Um, I'm Dan an Illustrator on Instagram, uh, Dan Burton on Facebook, and then I have a uh, that's my like personal page. I have, um, I think it's Dan, The Art of Dan Brereton Facebook page, Nocturnal's Facebook page. There's a little, quite a few Facebook pages that are like public ones. Uh, yeah. When I when I create a Kickstarter, I usually do a Facebook page for it because it makes it easier to uh, to promote it. But there's a giant killer page. There's a few others. So I'm all over Facebook and um, not on Twitter anymore. I, I, I left when it was still called Twitter um and then i have a patreon it's called the night studio and you can find a link to that on either the instagram uh link section or facebook if you're interested in becoming a patron uh, i do a lot of process galleries when i'm working on art i um i kind of go not step by step by step but like i i stop and i take pictures and I talk about it and you can see the, the progression mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the evolution of a of a hundred pieces, maybe more that are on there. Cause I started in 2019. So there's a lot of content on there and I post very regularly. Um, and there are art rewards that might still be available. They open up here and there, but, uh, really it's just kind of a way to share my studio and what I'm working on with people. Um, and, um, for people who want to support an artist, it's a pretty great thing. Uh, it's also a way for me to kind of, um, uh, organize my commission list Mm
0: -hmm, and mm -hmm. keep
1: it to a certain minimum or a maximum and not get too bogged down. Uh, I have a lot more commissions I do because of Patreon, but I manage them differently than I used to, because I know what's coming up and I can organize my time better. Uh, So I really enjoy doing that. And then there's the Kickstarters that come up here and there. I think you can follow me on Kickstarter too, so that when I have a project coming, you can um you can get notified about it but uh yeah i mean those are the basic um social media things that i'm that i'm involved with and uh if you're interested in finding any of my books uh that are still in print some stuff that's not in print i would say budsartbooks.com is your best bet mm-hmm. uh the nocturnals um omnibuses volume 1 and 2 are these big oversized omnibuses uh the first one's 320 pages the second one's 420 pages um those were put out by dark horse last year and the year before and they're very 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 inexpensive but very high quality and you can get those anywhere online where books are sold you can also buy them get them through your uh, local comic book shop but i would say for anything you have a trouble finding like say the giant killer uh oversized hardcover that's mm-hmm. only sold through budsartbooks.com nice, and they have a nice. couple different versions they have a they have the slipcase version the regular version they have the sketch versions things like that so uh, they live, I don't live too far away from Bud, so we do a lot of business together. And so they've been very supportive, which is great.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. I'll make sure to link all of those things. Uh, and then the video, there will be a little like bar that pops up about right now um, that okay. has all of that for us as well. Um, I also
1: should mention that I'm doing uh, the Baltimore Comic Con in September. Uh, i slated to do Dallas Comic Con in October. And I think that's it for now um, as far as conventions I'm traveling to out of state. I do uh, local ones in Northern California here and there, but I don't know if I have anything um, uh, set up, but but Baltimore and Dallas are coming up for me. So if you want to see me there, um, I'll be there.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, well, thank you so much, Dan. Did I miss anything or did we miss anything to make sure to mention? Uh,
1: no, I think we're good.
0: All right. right. Thanks. Well, yeah. Thank you for a wonderful talk and glad to talk with you sometime in the future again. Sure. That'd be great, Jason.